Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 this morning. This morning I'm going to finish a message that I started a couple of weeks ago out of Philippians chapter 3. And then the next three or four weeks we're going to go back to Nehemiah and finish that book. And then we'll be in December for Christmas. Doesn't seem possible, does it? Philippians chapter 3. Sanctification, setting something apart for a holy purpose. Now, we all practice sanctification in our lives. I have sanctified my toothbrush in the bathroom. The toothbrush that I have in the bathroom is not the only toothbrush I have. I have a toothbrush out in my garage. I use it for cleaning battery parts. I have a toothbrush down in my shop area. I use it for other things. But the toothbrush in my bathroom is set apart specifically for my teeth. I don't use the one in the garage for my teeth, and I don't use the one downstairs for my teeth. And it is set apart for a special purpose. God has set us apart for a special purpose. And that purpose is so that we might be wholly sanctified before him. Now, God has set a lot of things apart, hasn't he? You'll remember in Genesis, he set apart the seventh day. And he reminded us of that in Exodus chapter 20, where he said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. He set apart sacrifices for himself. The firstlings of the flock were to be given to God. Uh, You may remember that when Joshua took the people into the promised land and they went around Jericho, all the stuff in Jericho was set apart. May I remind you that there was a gentleman by the name of Achan who misused what God had set apart. In fact, he took it into his own tent. You remember that? And it cost him dearly. Not only him, but his family members. So sanctification, being set apart for a sacred purpose, is a serious thing. Now God has positioned us in Jesus Christ and set us apart in him. We are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Does that excite you? Isn't it great to know that you and I are placed in the body of Christ, never to be removed again? Praise the Lord. That ought to encourage us as we recognize our position in Jesus Christ. One day, we will see him and we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. All tears are going to be wiped away. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. And we will absence our bodies, and we will be present with the Lord. And this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? But between here and there, there is a process. And we call that progressive sanctification. 
but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here in Philippians chapter 3, it's I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's verse 14. And I don't know about you, but in my life, one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through and am going through is progressive sanctification. We say it pretty easily, don't we? Challenge, change, conform to the character of Christ. Huh? That sounds like that ought to be a simple process. But what happens when the surgery gets postponed? What happens when it's difficult to pay the bills? What happens when the car wears out before it's paid for? What happens when the kids do not respond to what they have been taught growing up? Well, I'll tell you, that progressive sanctification is tough stuff. But we know, Romans 8, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? For whom he did foreknow, verse 29, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the character of his son that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you believe that this morning? God is working in your life, God is working in my life so that we can be conformed to the character of Jesus Christ, his son. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, Took upon himself the form of servant, made in the likeness of man. Right? Let this mind be in you, which was in him. So that we can be the kind of people that God wants us. But progressive sanctification is a tough thing. In December of 2005, I received a call from my brother. My brother was on a sabbatical. Eli Lilly Corporation Foundation, actually had provided for him several thousands of dollars, I believe it was like $60,000, so that he could go on a time of rest and refreshment and encouragement, a time of growth in his life, a time of challenge for his life. He called me and said, hey, Tom, what are you doing next month? January of 2006. I said, I don't know. What you got in mind? He said, you want to go climb a mountain? I said, which one? Now, I lived in Rochester Hills. How tough could a mountain be? He said, let's go to Argentina and climb Akengangwa. I said, sure, let me talk to Connie. Connie said, sure, does your life insurance cover you? And I want you to know that I have never done anything as physically demanding as trying to climb Akengangwa in my life. We flew into Santiago, Chile. That's where we met because he was flying in from Indianapolis. I was flying in from Detroit. From, from Santiago, Chile, we went down to Mendoza, Argentina, and caught a bus up to Plaza de Quinta, which was just outside 
Hocking Congo. It took us four days to get to Plaza de Mulas, which was our base camp at 14,340 feet. And this, this is what the camping area looked like. That looked like fun to you? <laughs> at this altitude, you have to think about breathing. After three or four days at Plaza de Mulas, we climbed to Camp Canada. And this was the sunset we saw. Now, this is as high as we got. We decided at this point to turn around and go home. This was our summit. But as difficult as that trip was, it was worth it just to see this. As difficult as progressive sanctification is, it will be worth it all. But let me tell you, there is nothing more spiritually or physically or emotionally or mentally challenging in your life than progressive sanctification. Setting your life, setting my life aside for a sacred purpose. Paul is writing about that in Philippians chapter 3. And I began this message a couple weeks ago talking about the dangers. There are dangers that we face in trying to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. The dangers start with verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 2, where Paul says, look out for dogs. And I told you that there were three different kinds of dogs that Paul references. First of all, the nippers, those that just kind of keep pecking at us and keep pulling us apart. You, do you have those kinds of things in your life? You never get a break. It just comes and it comes and it comes. And it's nothing major. It just is a distraction. to. It's like static. Connie and I were in Rochester yesterday and coming home from, from uh, Rochester, we were listening to the Michigan game. We got over to East Lansing, and it was nothing but static. You can understand why. But that's irritating, isn't it? And Connie says, can't you find another station? Like, I'm going to find a station with a Michigan game on it in East Lansing. But we, ha we have those, right? They're difficult. They're demanding. They're always at, they never quit. Look out for dogs. Not only nippers, but rottenweilers. Verse 2. Look out for evildoers. There are those people in your life that just shed evil all over you. There are those things in your life that do nothing but plant in your minds that which is contrary to biblical truth. The television's one of them. Job said, I will put no evil thing before my eyes. Maybe we ought to have that sign on our TV sets. The Internet's another one. Dog. Rotten wilers. And then there's those Duberman pinchers. 
Here in verse 2, it talks about those who are of the circumcision. It talks about those who are false teachers, Judaizers. They followed Paul everywhere. And they insisted that Gentile believers should be circumcised and keep the ceremonial law in order to be saved. You do this, you do that. You don't drink, you don't chew. Or go with girls that do. You know any people like that? You're not using the right translation. You're not going to the right schools. You don't have the right ministry. Yeah, it's part of our life. There's also those who emphasize the activities of the flesh. Verses 3 through 6, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Did you notice that? Confidence in the flesh. This is what I do. Paul goes on to say, look at what I've done. I've been circumcised the eighth day. That's pretty good stuff. I'm of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, persecuted the church, righteousness of the law, blameless. Yeah. Activity. For some reason, it's all this stuff. I Let me tell you, it's not the stuff you do. It's who you are in Jesus Christ that makes the difference. Activities of the flesh. Not knowing that Christ is everything. Verse 7. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being like him in death. Not knowing that Christ is A couple of my kids went to Cedarville University. Paul Dixon, when he was the president of Cedarville University, ended each chapel hour with singing, He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. He was crucified. For me he died. Jesus is all I need. And when you and I forget that there's something else important in life besides knowing Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. I am sorry for what happened in Nebraska yesterday. All of you Michigan State people. Oops. It's just a game. And the same thing may happen in Columbus, Ohio on November 21st when the Spartans visit the Buckeyes. It's just a game. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is all that matters, right? The danger for us to get our eyes on the wrong thing. There's another danger, and that's getting our righteousness 
because of the law. Look at verse 9, will you please? And be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, it's real easy for us to get our righteousness from the law. I'm a Baptist, partly because I was born a Baptist. I went to Baptist schools and Baptist seminaries. I've pastored Baptist churches. Connie's even given birth to Baptist kids. But I'm not a Baptist because of orthodoxy. I'm a Baptist because of biblical truth. I'm not a Baptist because of Baptist distinctives. I'm a Baptist because of Bible doctrine. I'm not a Baptist because of Baptist practice. I'm a Baptist because of biblical principles. You see, it's not about Baptist. It's about the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's about the word of God. When Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. It's about the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the child of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all goods. It's about the word of God. It's not about Baptist. I didn't expect any amens in a Baptist church, I guess. law is good because it brought us to sin right but it's not about keeping the law doing anything it's about the shed blood of Jesus Christ as he went to the cross and made the complete and total payment for your sins and mine amen that's what it's all about now every once in a while somebody accused me of being legalistic And they'll say you're legalistic because, and name something. Usually, they're saying I'm legalistic because of something that they don't like. But may I define legalism? Legalism is being more righteous because of something I do or don't do. That's legalism. Sometimes we just do or don't do stuff, right? I've been to some of your homes. You asked me to take off my shoes when I come to your front door. That is not legalism. That's just your house rules, and that's fine. When we had a new car, we didn't eat in the car. Happened to be my wife's car. But that's not legalism. That was just trying to keep the car clean. Legalism is doing something so I can be more righteous. That's not what it's about, folks. And you and I need to make sure that we are making a distinction in our lives because it's not about keeping the law now. We are told that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us 
Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we are to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Remember sanctification, setting apart for a sacred purpose. Okay? But it's not about not having drinks in the worship center. Okay? We need to make sure that we don't get sidetracked and think we're getting our righteousness because we're keeping the law, doing something. It's a danger in our lives. Two more very quickly. We need to be careful that we don't get engaged with the past. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to make sure that we are not living in the past. The world is too perilous and the gospel too glorious for us to be content with past achievements. It ain't about what it used to be. May I repeat that? The world is too perilous and the gospel too glorious for us to be content with past achievements. Now there's something else about the past. Sometimes we think we'll never get over it. We'll never get past the past. And we carry all of this junk. And it's kind of like a backpack on our lives that every time something happens that we know is not what God wants us to have or what God wants us to do, we throw it back there. And, and pretty soon we're humped over like this because we have all this past back here. May I remind you that Satan knows your past, but only God knows your future? And it's not about the past Setting aside the past, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Now, it means that we're keeping our focus. It does not mean that sometimes there aren't repercussions about the past. But what it does mean is there's a better future than there has been in the past. Amen? And so we need to make sure that as we engage the past... We don't live back there. But we keep pressing on. One more danger, and that's the ruse of the culture. Jump down with me, please, to verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory in their shame. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The ruse of the culture. Did you notice how the culture is defined? Their God is their belly. Fleshly stuff. Stuff that just makes them feel good temporarily. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. When I was growing up, there were some things you just didn't talk about because it was shameful. That does not seem to be the same standard for the culture in which we live today. It seems like the cruder it can get, the more glory there seems to be in it. That's the ruse of the culture. And lastly, their goal is earthly stuff. They have their mind set on earthly things. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Amen? This earth is so temporary. There is so much junk on this earth. Now, I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. Because God has called me to live in this culture. But just because I live in this culture does not mean that I have to be of this culture. For my citizenship is up there, right? Now, can I encourage you this morning? In progressive sanctification, let me give you four truths real quickly. How do you do this? How, how do you accomplish this in your life? How, how can you move forward? Verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Do you notice that in the text? Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says the same thing in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. He said it back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, rejoice. Now, there's a whole lot of difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is external stuff. And what does Paul say? Don't get excited about external stuff. Get excited about who God is and what he's doing in your life. Amen. Have you seen any God things recently? Can you rejoice in what God is trying to accomplish in your life? What does he want to do? Next year, we're going to talk about Growing a great family at Calvary. And one of the truths about growth, spiritual growth, is that it's transformational. It transforms us. It doesn't just change, it transforms us. So I ask you, has there been any transformational growth in your life? Rejoice in the Lord. That'll transform you. That'll make a difference in your life. Recognize what really matters. Verse 7. We read it. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What is really important in life? As we recognize what is important, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. Amen? It's all about Him and His work in our lives. The resurrection brings power. Verse 10. I may know Him and the power of the resurrection. Stop right there. I have on my shelves a book that is entitled Living the Resurrected Life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... The answer to that is new creature. Let's try this again, okay? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming... That's the resurrected life, folks. That's greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my God will supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's he'll never leave me nor forsake me so that I can boldly say the Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? That's resurrected life. I often wondered. Scripture doesn't tell us how Lazarus' life changed. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine? Four days he'd been there, right? By now he stinks. And yet he came forth. Can you imagine the stories he had to tell his grandkids? Jonah was another one who had the opportunity to live the resurrected life. He didn't do so good. Right? Down in the belly of the whale for three days. Can you imagine? Seaweed wrapped around your head. Connie and I were in Santa Barbara one time. Santa, no. Santa Monica. Walking down the beach. We smelled him before we saw him. He came walking toward us wrapped in seaweed. I know, California, the land of fruits and nuts. That was Jonah. And Jonah didn't do real well after that. He grudgingly went to Nineveh. And then he sat underneath this tree and complained to God, God, I knew if I went there, you'd do something. How's that for the resurrected life? I'd rather be Lazarus than Jonah. And we need to make sure we're running toward the right goal. I press toward the mark. Huh? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Verse 14 of God in us. We're running toward the mark. When Connie and I got married on May 20th, 1973, I had one more year left in college. And then went into ministry. Connie had been cooking for a whole family. When we got married, she continued to cook for a whole family. 
and I ate for a whole family. I put on 25 pounds in six weeks. I didn't want to disappoint my wife. So I got to Quincy, Illinois, and got involved in ministry, and I thought, Tom, you've got to start doing something. <laughs> you can't just be sitting around and sleeping and eating and studying. and You've you got to do something. So I started running. And I ran. And I ran. And I enjoyed it. I ran half marathons. I ran 10Ks. I ran a full marathon. I enjoyed it. And in 1979, Connie contracted an artist. His, his name was Dave Kenny. Any, you recognize this guy? That's me. Don't laugh. And she had him print on there, Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Now, I admit to you, I don't run like I used to. I still enjoy running. I'm not as fast as I used to be. But I'm still running. I'm still putting one foot in front of the other. And I hope that I can continue that process until the day God takes me home. I don't know where you are in progressive sanctification. Maybe it's tougher for you today than it used to be. Maybe there are more struggles in your life than you've had for quite some time. Maybe there's stuff going on that you just don't know how you're going to handle. Can I encourage you to keep on running? Can I encourage you to keep putting one foot in front of the other one? Keep pressing toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? We're in the family. One day we're going to be like him. But until we get there, there's a race that must be run. There's a victory to be won. Every hour by thy power keep retreating. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to just remind ourselves of these truths. And we pray that you would just help us to this week put into practice a, a, a little bit of progressive sanctification so that we might be a little more set apart for your purpose than we were last week. We might press toward the mark just a little harder this week than we did last week. That we might recognize that one day it will all be over. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. We love you, Father. Thank you for your love. And we pray that you would just help us to keep on keeping on, recognizing that 
give us the strength we need for each day. And we can do all things through you as you sustain us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.